a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity. Jehovah God, the great I am, forgives our sins through Christ the God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity. His anger he retains no more. His grace and mercy shall Satisfy the law's demands for sinners numerous as the sands. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? His shall endure. Behold his love and compassion in the death of, of Christ his Son. The precious sin atoning blood Yeah.
God's call to worship, uh, will you please turn with me in John chapter 17, John chapter 17. I hope and pray that we, God enables us to see how precious our time together is. It's, you know, I know I don't, I don't see it as I should, because one day it will pass. They come. This is a prayer by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was reading this, I thought, has there ever been any time where Christ has prayed that God has not given him everything he asked for? And the answer is no. So what we see in here is going to come to pass. We know that. Because his prayers are not like ours. They're holy and omniscient and omnipotent. And we rejoice in him. We'll start at verse 8. And Christ is saying, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Oh, the next verse, the religious folks hate this verse. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I'm not praying for all mankind, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost. Oh, that's a comfort to this sinner. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they're not of the world, but even as I am not of the world. I pray, this is the verse that uh, God has caused me to repent about. 
I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. The world is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Verse 20, neither I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. It is the desire of every believer to be with Christ. I, I say that. We understand when it says to live as Christ, to die as gain. We look forward to that day of death when this flesh dies and we sin no more. But we also know that I will die in God's time, not in mine. And I will die at his appointed hour. And he has left us here that other sheep, lost sheep, should come through the word we tell them. And that word is Christ. That word is Christ. I always appreciated Brother Henry say every believer knows how to witness to people. He said, all you do is you tell them what Christ has done for you. And we do that. I hope we can do that. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for your grace and mercy to undeserving sinners as us. We pray, Lord, that you would meet with us this morning that you would open our hearts and give us ears to hear what you have put in the heart of your servant, Brother Greg, and your other churches, your gospel preachers. And Lord, that you would send your spirit to us and not only give us the ability to hear it, but the faith to believe it. And the spirit not only to hear it, but to love it. And a willingness, Lord, to defend it when lies are told about it. We pray that you get all the glory, Lord. We especially pray this morning for those who sit under the preaching of your word and remain in unbelief, that this might be the day, Lord, that you would meet with them, that you would come to them and make them willing, give them the faith to believe and rest and believe on and in you and look to Christ. We pray that for our lost loved ones. We ask, Lord, that you would comfort our souls this day and cause us to rest and believe on you. Amen. <laughs>
is my boast and glory, all wrath for me is o'er, the judgment of the sinner, it frightens me no more. There is no condemnation, there is no hell for me. open our Bibles together to 1 Samuel chapter 25, 1 Samuel 25. We have a, a beautiful story here of the Lord Jesus Christ sending a message of salvation to a man and a woman. And the man doesn't believe it, and his wife does. And it's always the case, isn't it? Whenever the gospel is preached, you either believe it or you don't believe it. It provides no opportunity for, um, for middle ground. <clears throat> I hope that the Lord will cause us this morning to be like the wife, Abigail. <clears throat> yes, this is the story of Nabal. And if you look up the word fool in the Hebrew lexicon, the word is Nabal. That is the, the Hebrew word for fool. 
and uh, Abigail. I love the sound of that name. Abba, translated father, and Gail, the Hebrew word for joy, and Abigail's name meaning the joy of my father. What a contrast between the two. One's a fool. The other is the joy of the heavenly father. David has already been anointed by Samuel. You remember Samuel went to Saul's house and the Lord identified David, the youngest of the boys, to succeed Saul as king. And Samuel anointed him. And David has been part of Saul's very family. Uh, Saul took David in. David has already slew uh, Goliath, and he has engaged in many conflicts with the enemies of Israel. And now David has increased in popularity above Saul. And the people are singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul is now jealous and fearful that Saul knew that God had appointed David and anointed him to be his successor. But Saul, in fear of losing his power, has now turned on David, and David is hiding out um, with his 600 men. It is a picture of... Our Lord, who has been anointed as king of Israel, and right now he is in the heavens, and he is seated at the right hand of God. But the full coronation of his glory has not yet happened. Uh, We find, where is the Lord Jesus now? Well, not only is he in heaven... But he's also among his people, and the Lord tells us where they are. Where are they? They're scattered among the nations. Uh, They've been cast into the wilderness, according to the book of Revelation, into a place where God has prepared for them, uh, where they are being fed by a great eagle with two wings, Uh, the Spirit of God and the And the word of God is sustaining the life of God's people while they live in this wilderness. That's where David is. The Lord Jesus Christ has always been God. He's always been God's anointed. He's always been the Messiah. He accomplished the work of the Messiah when he bowed his head on Calvary's cross and said, It is finished. And... uh, came into this world anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. He ascended back into glory. But now we see him typified by David uh, sending his young men uh, with a message of salvation. And some believed and some believed not. Nabal, as I've already said, Name translated means fool. The scripture says the fool has said in his heart, 
And uh, in the verse that I'm about to quote, the words there is, is in italics. And so they don't really belong in the text. The fool has said in his heart, no God, no God. That's the definition of a fool in the scriptures. Know anybody like that? You ever found the spirit of Nabal in your heart saying no by choosing the things that are opposed to the things of God? Is there not a spirit of foolishness in each of us? Opposed to the wisdom of God without understanding, without discernment. And the Bible tells us that Nabal was a churlish man, unwilling to listen, unwilling to learn, unteachable, incapable of being corrected, hard, harsh, stiff-necked. You see, the Lord has given us Nabal in his word as a picture of the old man, the natural man, the, the man that was born in the likeness of his father Adam, spiritually dead and at enmity with God. It's how we come into this world and it's how all men come into this world. It is God's description of our fallen nature. You say, well, I know people that are humble and teachable, but they're not believers. Tell them the gospel and you'll see how churlish they are. Tell them the gospel and you'll see how humble they are. And how resistant they are to the things of God. And so it is with our old man. He's never bowed. He's never believed. The Lord had to give us a new nature. He had to give us a, an, a, an inner man, the scripture calls him. He had to give us his spirit and birth us into his kingdom. He had to make us like Abigail. A woman of good understanding, the scripture says, and of beautiful countenance. <laughs> The Lord Jesus calls his church comely, beautiful, because of his comeliness. He puts his righteousness on his people and he makes them beautiful in his sight. In contrast to her husband, she is obviously an object of God's saving grace. They both hear the same message, but their response could not be more different. Let's read these verses together. And Samuel died, verse 1, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in the house of Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great, just means that he was wealthy, powerful, and he had 3,000 sheep sheep and a thousand goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel now the name of the man was Nabal 
and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings. And he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Now the number 10 is mentioned in this chapter twice. We're going to see at the end of this chapter that Nabal suffers a stroke and he languishes for 10 days before he finally dies. And uh, I've titled this message, The Fool Must Die. The Fool Must Die. And even in Nabal's Death, we see a picture of what God has done in, in saving us. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to bring this number 10 to some understanding because the first thing we think of when we think of 10 is the Ten Commandments. And so the number 10 is a number of God's perfect righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that ever was faithful to keep God's law. And so when David sends out these ten young men to greet Nabal in his name, it is picturing for us what God has done when he sends his preachers out to declare the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find... Also, the number 10 in the 10 plagues that God afflicted the Egyptians with, concluding with the death angel and the placing of the blood on the doors of the homes of the Israelites and the conclusion of that whole thing being when God said, I see the blood, I'll pass by you. And so we not only see the ten representing the perfect righteousness of God, but also his perfect justice, his perfect judgment in the ten plagues, concluding with that killing of the Passover lamb and the shedding of his blood, which satisfies the justice of God. So these ten men, ten of them, are declaring to Nabal in the name of David... And David's name translated means beloved. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ as the beloved of his father. This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we are accepted before God in the beloved. And only in the beloved. So David is Christ now. During this period of time between his anointing by God and his full coronation, which will happen at his second coming, he is in the wilderness with his 600 men, his church, and he is declaring the gospel to a fool, a man by the name of Nabal, and to his wife, Abigail. This is exactly what's happening right now. This is exactly where you and I live. Um, the Lord's preachers 
and his church as a whole declare his perfect righteousness in that the Lord Jesus kept the law of God. They declare his perfect justice and judgment and that he satisfied only by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for the covering of the sins of his people. Um, we, we see the number 10 in the tithe that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament. A tenth part was to belong to the Lord. And what was the purpose of the tithe? It was an expression of faith. An expression of faith. They were to give to the Lord the first tenth of all that they had to say we are trusting God to provide everything that we need. That was the whole purpose of the tithe. I say the whole purpose. The real purpose of the tithe was to demonstrate the perfect faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who believed God perfectly and it is his faith and his faithfulness that saves us. So these 10 men now are going to declare this message in the name of David. <clears throat> How oftentimes we've heard a new parent say in response to their child, he has 10 fingers and 10 toes. God has given us an example, even in our physical bodies, of the wholeness. That's what the nerd 10 is. It's wholeness. It's perfection. And, um, and so we see here in this gospel type where David sends these 10 young men out. <clears throat> we are declaring God's perfect salvation. We are declaring that God will not lose one of his sheep, that all for whom he called, the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed, or all that he chose, the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed, and all that he redeemed, he calls, and all that he calls, he sanctifies, and all that he sanctifies, he's glorified. So we see the perfect salvation of the Lord Jesus a couple of Sundays ago, we looked at that story in Acts chapter 27 where Paul was on a boat with 276 souls, the scripture says, and the boat was sinking. It was caught in a storm. And what did Paul say to the captain of the ship when some of the sailors wanted to depart the ship? He said, if these men leave, you won't be saved. He didn't say if these men leave, they'll be lost. He didn't say if any man departs this ship, the ones who depart the ship will be lost. He said if these men leave, there was only two or three of them, then no one will be saved. What is the Lord telling us in that story? If anyone for whom Christ died is able to be lost, then there's no hope for anybody to be saved. If he loses one of his sheep, you see, it's all 276 souls or it's none. That's the success of the Lord Jesus. That's what he accomplished. And that's what these 10 men represent. Perfect righteousness, perfect justice, perfect wholeness, 
The perfect gospel accomplished by the perfect God who will not lose a single one of his sheep. David said, you go tell him that. Now this is important to understand the message because it gives us some understanding as to um, as to why Nabal responds the way he does. Look at verse 6. And thus you shall say to him that liveth in prosperity, peace, peace be unto you. So he's declaring this gospel in the name of David. When we preach the gospel, we're preaching it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He's not going to make a stab at it. He's not going to try to save them. He's not going to do his part so they can do their part. He shall save his people from their sins. The Christ, the anointed one, the one sent of his father in the full power of the Holy Spirit so that in him, Romans chapter 11, all Israel shall be saved. He's the Christ. There's no way he can fail. And he's Lord. (laughs) We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. He reigns sovereign over the living and the dead. No man can stay his hand and no man can say unto him, what doest thou? It's his sovereign work of grace. We go in the name of David. And what do we declare? Peace. Look Look what David's young men said. Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. Now the false prophets declare peace, peace, when there is no peace. They are declaring a message of salvation that accomplishes peace with God based on something that man does. Or a decision that man makes. And that's a, that's a peace, peace when there is no peace. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the only one that can make peace with God for us. You hear men say, well, have you made your peace with God? What are you going to do to make peace with God? What are you going to offer God? We've offended him with our sin. We've, what, what, what do we have to offer? What can we do to reconcile ourselves to God? To atone for our own sins? Nothing. Nothing. David's declaring his peace. And the Lord Jesus said, My peace I give unto thee. Not as the world. The world gives a peace that's superficial. And, it, and it's not true. A peace that... That, that comforts men's hearts but doesn't save their souls. The only peace that's saving peace is found in the glorious person and finished work of Christ. David said, you go. You ten men, you go. And you declare this message to Nabal. And you bring it to him 
in my name. They went as the ambassadors of David. Verse 7, and now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we shut them not. We hurt them not, I'm sorry. Neither was there aught missing of them all the while they were in Carmel. What is David saying to Nabal? Nabal, all the possessions that you have, the sheep that your shearers are, sheep, are, are shearing, and all the wealth that you possess, I was the one that provided that for you. Your men were out in the wilderness. Uh, notice with me, notice with me when, when Nabal's servants, now Abigail's not with Nabal when the message comes from David. And Abigail gets the message secondhand from one of the men that was there. After Nabal responded the way he did, one of his men ran to Abigail and said, David's coming. Now he's going to slay us all. You need to go intercede for us. <laughs> and notice what uh, in verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed any, neither miss we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the field. Now that word conversant means walked with them. And it doesn't just mean they walked with them, it means they walked in the same footsteps with them. The picture of a, of a child walking after its father, making those long strides to make sure that his foot goes in the same footstep that the father went in. What a glorious picture. These, these men were saying, we walked in the footsteps of David's men and they protected us. Look, look at verse 16. They were a wall unto us both by night and day and all the while we kept them while we were keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do for evil is determined against our master and against all the household for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. They were a wall unto us. Now that's what David's saying to Nabal. Nabal, I'm bringing you this message in my name. And you need to recognize that what you're doing right now, I provided that for you. I was a wall unto your men. For surely they would have been raided and destroyed in the wilderness had I not protected them. When the Lord brings the gospel to us, what does he say to us? I'm the one that kept you. I'm the one who did everything in your life and brought you to this place where you're able to hear the gospel. I'm the one that's provided everything for you. This is a message of hope. It's a message of salvation. <laughs> and when we hear the gospel of his perfect salvation 
And we know that it's the Lord that brought us to that place. It's the Lord that made us to differ. He could have left us to ourselves. He could have not put a wall around us. He could have not protected us. And we'd, been, we'd have been caught up in the lie. And we'd have, been, we'd have been carried off into utter destruction had the Lord not, not provided and protected us. Look at verse 8. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes. For we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thy hand, unto thy servant David, and to thy, unto thy servants, and to thy servant David. The Lord said, they heard me, they hear you. <laughs> the message that the messengers bring is, is inseparably linked to Christ. And, uh, and when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David, and they ceased. They didn't add anything to David's message. We don't add anything to the message of the gospel, do we? Uh, if any man add anything to these words, the curses of this book will be added unto him. We dare, we fear adding anything. We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador must declare exactly what the king said to declare, nothing more. Nothing more. And Nabal, and here's the, here's the answer of the natural man. Here's the answer of not only the reprobate, those who will not hear the gospel and will die in their sins and in unbelief, but this is also the spirit of our old man, our flesh. We wouldn't hear the gospel. The gospel doesn't improve our old man. <laughs> it doesn't make him partly righteous. It doesn't give him some... No, the believer sees his his old man for what he always has been, a fool, a fool, a churlish man, an unteachable man, a hard man. Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? Who is David? <laughs> now, he knew who David was. Everybody in Israel knew who David was. David had led many successful campaigns by now. And everyone knew that, that David was on the run from Saul. And they were singing David's praises. Nabal knew who David was. But Nabal thought that he hasn't ascended to his throne yet. He hasn't, he hasn't taken control of Israel. I have nothing to fear. Is this not the spirit of unbelief that men have toward Christ now? 
I promise you they will not have that attitude when the Lord Jesus is coronated, when he is ultimately glorified in all of his splendor, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It might be the rod of God's wrath on the back of their knee that causes them to bow, but every knee will bow. But now, they don't see him on his throne. They see him like we are, (laughs) hiding out in the wilderness, being a a group of, of insignificant, unthreatening people who... Who, who, don't, who don't cause them any fear or respect. Who is David? When he comes with his mighty angels, well, the Lord said of those, of those Pharisees and the priests that, that cried crucify him he said they would not have done that had they known that he was the lord of glory they didn't see him if he had if he had unveiled his glory to them like he did to peter james and john on the mount of transfiguration they never would have crucified they would have bowed to him they'd have been afraid of him see the only hope that we have of seeing him now for who he is is by God's grace giving us faith, eyes of faith to see him. The natural man won't bow to him. His eyes are holding. He can't see Christ for who he is. Who is David that I should be afraid of him? (laughs) He's He's got a little band of men out there in the wilderness somewhere. Well, he may have had a band of men, but he had 600 armed men. And, uh, and, and Nabal was but a farmer and a shepherd. And all David had to do was show up with his weapons and he could have, he could have destroyed the house of Nabal. What am I saying? Dave, Nabal had reason to fear David, but he didn't. Why? Because he was a fool. Fools have no fear of God. There's no fear of God in their heart. They can't see him. They're not, they're not threatened by him. They say, we will not have this man reign over us. <laughs> they interpret his humble posture as meek and lowly as he is. And they, in their pride, have no fear. They refuse to bow. And in doing so, they only aggravate his wrath toward their own judgment. All his goodness and all of his long suffering toward them in this world will only add to the guilt of their punishment in the day of judgment. And who is the son of Jesse? That's what, that's what Nabal says. Look at, look at the rest of Nabal's word. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? You see, David, Nabal knew exactly who David was. <laughs> now, Jesse was the child of Obed who was the child of Boaz and Ruth. 
Jesse was the grandson of Boaz. Who's Boaz? The Kingsman Redeemer. Who's Ruth? The Moabitess that was brought into the very lineage. You see, it was the promise of God to bring the Messiah through the lineage of, 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 of Boaz and, and Ruth. And now we see that coming to fulfillment. And the anointing that the Lord gave to David was the confirmation of that promise that your seed, through your seed, the Messiah will come. So what is, what is, uh, what is Nabal saying? We don't have any concern for a Messiah. We'll save ourselves. Thank you very much. And that's, that's, the, that's the unbeliever's attitude toward the gospel. We don't need a savior. We've done, our, we've done, we've done what needs to be done in order to save ourselves. Who is the son of Jesse? Jesse's name by translation means I possess. I possess. Who did, who did Jesse possess? He possessed his son, David. And when Nabal's saying, who is Jesse? Who is the son of Jesse? He's saying he has no fear of Jesse's father, of David's father. He has no fear of God. <laughs> and he's the one that you remember the parable that the Lord gave of the man who owned a vineyard and he was a long way away from the vineyard and he sent servants to receive from the, from the vine dressers, those who were tending his vineyard, he sent servants to bring back to him the profits of the harvest. And when the servants came, they beat the servants. And the servants went back and told the the master, the owner of the vineyard, and the master said, well, I'll send another servant. He sent another one, another one, another one. They kept beating him. And so the master of the vineyard said, I'll send my son. Surely they will honor him. And he sent his son. And the, and the men that were tending the vineyard, they said, this is the heir. Let us kill him that we might receive the vineyard to ourselves. We'll take possession of this vineyard ourselves by killing the son of the man who owns it. And then the Lord said to those Pharisees that he told the parable to. He said, what would the owner of that vineyard do? And the Pharisees pronounced their own judgment when they said, he will destroy those men. He will destroy those men. You see, when Nabal was saying, who is the son of Jesse? He was pointing as unbelief as his finger toward God. The wrath of God, yes, is coming on man because of their sin, but their sin that, 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 that God is punishing is not honoring his son. Not honoring his son. They robbed from Christ his glory, thinking that they're going to take the vineyard to themselves and they're going to reap the harvest and produce the benefits of their own salvation and so they kill the son. And that's what brings about the wrath of God. All of those prophets that God sent, pictured by the servants that the owner of the vineyard sent, throughout the Old Testament, God God forego, God long-suffering, God send him another prophet, send him another prophet. Now I'll send my son. 
And 40 years after the Lord Jesus bowed his head on Calvary's cross, the fulfillment of God's judgment against national Israel came in its full fury. And he destroyed that city so that not one stone was left standing upon another. You see, the wrath of Jesse is because they didn't honor David. The wrath of God the Father, yes, is because of man's disobedience and man's unbelief, but it's because they did not honor Christ. They would not honor him. And that's ultimately what God's full fury and full wrath will come against this world for. He that honoreth not the Son, the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 5, honoreth not the Father that sent him. Many servants nowadays break away from their master is the next thing that Nabal said. He thought that he could discount David as nothing more than a runaway servant. When the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and declared himself to be the son of God, what did they say? He has a devil. He has a devil. He's just, he's, he's, he's run away from God. He's not representing God. When we declare the Lord Jesus Christ as the only sovereign, the only successful savior of sinners, the one who gets all the glory and strips man naked of any, of any, any participation in his salvation, what do they say? What do they say? My God's not like that. What are they declaring? They're saying that Our God's not true God. (laughs) He's a runaway servant. He's a runaway slave. He's not one to be reckoned with. He's not one to be, he's not one to be thought of or feared. You see, this story just goes on and on, declaring exactly what's happening today. He broke away from his master. (laughs) Oh no, he hasn't. No, he's one with his father. I and the father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. To honor Christ is to honor God. Men hear the gospel and they say exactly what this fool said. They respond to the message exactly like Nabal did. Look at verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? <laughs> Shall I take all that I have worked for and all that I have effort, all that, all that I've done, <laughs> and give it to them? No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hold on to my part. 
I know not where they're from. Well, they told them. These ten young men told Nabal clearly where they were from. We're from David. David sent us. <laughs> and we, did, we, we, we declare men clearly. This is God's message. This is God's gospel. Salvation is of the Lord. And what do they say? Well, we don't know. We don't know anything about you. We don't know where you're from. <laughs> and they said the same thing about the Lord Jesus when he said, I'm from my father. And they took up stones to stone him. Why? Before what good, what, what good deeds do you stone me for? Not because of your good deeds, but because you being a man make yourself out to be God. That was there. You see, nothing's changed. When we preach the gospel, we are preaching Jesus Christ as God. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are saying that you are complete in him. No salvation anywhere else. <laughs> and men won't have it. They will respond just like, just like Nabal did. And you and I... If we were left to only have our Nabal nature, if all we had was the foolish nature of our flesh, if God didn't, didn't send us, well, um, <laughs> look, look at verse 32 in this chapter. We're missing, uh, we're skipping over a lot of verses. I would encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter. You'll see a glorious picture of the gospel. But look what David says after, after Abigail comes and intercedes for Nabal and pleads with David. And David said to Abigail in verse 32, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel which sent thee this day to meet me. <laughs> David said it was only by God's grace that you believed what my young men said. It was God that, that gave you ears to hear. It was God that gave you a heart to believe. Shall I take all that I've earned and all that I've worked for? Are you saying, preacher, that all of my good works are, are of no value when it comes to my acceptance before God? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we're saying. I'll not have that man reign over me. Not going to give up my possessions. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Now look with me at verse 17. <clears throat> verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses, and she said unto her servants, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal, and it was so as she rode on the ass, as she came down by the covert of the hill, and behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. Now David 
had said, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertaineth unto him, and he hath requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David. If I leave of all that pertaineth to him by the morning light, any that pisseth against the wall. David was determined to wipe them all out. And when Abigail saw David, she hastened. Oh, this message of salvation, this message that David declared to David's men, uh, they declared the message and they ceased. (laughs) They rested. They didn't say another word. It requires urgency, doesn't it? It's not a message to be there's, there's judgment coming. It's not a message to be, to be thought about or to be, to be considered for a later, later time. Abigail hastened. She knew from the report that had come that David was coming with his men. All were going to die. And so she goes. And when Abigail saw David in verse 23, she hastened and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be, and not, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. She took a posture of worship and she pleaded for his mercy and an opportunity to speak. That's how we come before God, don't we? We come before the Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my, hear my prayer. Lord, I have, I have nothing that would obligate you to be merciful toward me. I'm completely dependent upon your mercy and your grace. Verse 25, and let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he, Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as, my, as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thy handmaid hath brought unto my servant, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the, transple- the, transpass- the trespass of thine handmaid. She's taking responsibility for Nabal's sin. Now, I see two things in this. We come before God. The Lord gives us a spirit of Abigail. He enables us to bow before Christ and to believe the message that he has preached by his ten young men. We own the responsibility of our own sin. We we can't accuse or blame or excuse our sin on anything or anyone else. Lord, just as Nabal was united in marriage to Abigail, so our old man 
is part of us. And we, we come before God and we, we confess, Lord, this is, this is my foolish, churlish nature that has responded as it did. Lord, have mercy. I also see in this a picture of the Lord Jesus interceding on our behalf. Turn with me to Psalm 40 quickly. Psalm 40. Verse 10. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and, my, and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou tender mercies unto me, O Lord, and let not thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. Now clearly this is David speaking prophetically of Christ. But now I want you to notice the next phrase. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. When the Lord Jesus bore the sins of his people on Calvary's cross, he could not look up. He bowed his head. He cried, my God, my, he didn't shake his fist toward heaven. He didn't, he didn't look up toward heaven and say, this is, he owned the sins of his people as his own. He bore all the shame and all the guilt and all the penalty of all of God's people's sins and innumerable evils have compassed me about. My sin has come unto me. That's what, that's what Abigail is saying now. <laughs> The joy of the Father is none other than the Lord Jesus. And here we have a picture of him interceding for us. And David hears her intercession. And he withholds his wrath and his judgment. I want to conclude with this one point. I mentioned this at the beginning. Turn with me at the end of the chapter. Um, Abigail goes back and tells Nabal what happened. And Nabal has a feast that night and gets very drunk, wakes up the next morning, and Abigail goes to him and tells him everything that had transpired between her and David. And look what happens. Verse 37, and it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became as a stone. Verse 38, and it came to pass about 10 days after that the Lord smote Nabal and he died. When God enables us to hear the message of the gospel. That heart of stone, that old man, is exposed for what he is. Our hearts are turned to stone the day that we hear the message of salvation and believe it.
And we are living right now in those 10 days of perfection. The perfect purpose of God will be accomplished in the lives of his people between the day of their the day of their of their regeneration and the day of their glorification. Those are the 10 days in which we live. And I see in Nabal's experience our heart died with Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. You see, though we carry this old man with us, that old man's dead. He's dead. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. It's Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here we are. We're Nabal, aren't we? We're in those 10 days, and it is appointed unto man once to die. The Lord hasn't, as you said, Michael, in the opening of this service, that the Lord has an appointed hour, and he does for each one of us. And then and only then will we shed. Nabal obviously had a stroke, and he laid there on his bed for 10 days until he finally died. But... Uh, we had a stroke, didn't we? <laughs> the day that the gospel came in power and in truth to our hearts, that old man died. And we're carrying around a corpse now. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7. This old man, oh, I'm carrying him around. Nabal strapped to my back. One day, he's had a stroke. One day, he's going to be made new. <laughs> and the corruptible is going to be made incorruptible. And the mortal is going to be made immortal. Oh, what a day that'll be. The fool must die. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would cause us to to meditate on these things and, and give us grace, Lord, to believe on Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. 62, 62. Let's stand together. <laughs>